would encourage you this morning, if, if you've got a, a, a copy of the scriptures there, I think there might be some there in the, the chairs in front of you if you need one. But I would encourage you to look at this passage this morning um, because we're going to walk through it. There are, some, there are some key phrases, key words here that uh, I don't want us to miss. I, I don't want to just say them and they kind of just fly by you and, and you miss the impact because, again, uh, though an elementary statement, I guess theologically, you know, as Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is written by God, it's inspired by God. Every, every word, all right, and every thought, every phrase. And so let's not miss what we have here before us this morning as we continue this study in the characters of Christmas. Brother Terry read for us a few moments ago what has become known as Mary's Magnificat, and we will get there in just a few moments. But before we get there, I want to just read these introductory verses to us, verses 26 through 38. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Gabriel was a busy little angel in these months. He's sent to Elizabeth. He's sent to Zechariah. He's sent to Joseph. And now he's sent to Mary to deliver this message. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary, the mother, the human mother of our Lord. We about her, like Joseph, we know very little of her physical life. We can assume some things from what we know of the culture of the day, from historians and, you know, like Josephus and others. We can discern some things from bits we pick up here and there in Scripture. 
But we don't know a lot. But we know enough. Let me start with her name. Mary, of course, has become one of those names that is cherished. There are a lot of girls, women who carry the name Mary. The connotation, of course, has become highly regarded. But in its original context, the name really meant sea of bitterness. It's not what we would normally associate with the name. And yes, she was blessed. But she also endured incredible hardship. Both prior to this event and, of course, after it. We know, we looked at this last week as we looked at Joseph's life. She had four sons. She and Joseph would have four sons after Jesus, as well as some unnamed daughters. We don't know how many, but there were some. The scriptures tell us that. James becomes leader of the church at Jerusalem. We know that from Acts chapter 15. Uh, There was Joseph, or Joseph. There is Jude, Judas. And there is Simon. Both the gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, record the names for us. Paul speaks of uh, going back to Jerusalem and and spending time with with James in Galatians chapter 1, verse uh, verse 19. He talks about coming back and being with Cephas and then meeting James. And he says, our Lord's brother. So there are these things throughout Scripture that we can put the pieces together. James, of course, the leader at the church at Jerusalem. And then he also writes the book that bears his name later on in the New Testament. And then the brother Jude, he writes the the other book right towards the end of the New Testament. But it wasn't until after the resurrection that those brothers believed in Jesus being who he really was. The Son of God. We know that she was poor. Nazareth was little more than a wide place in the road. Humble beginnings in Luke chapter 2. We'll kind of look back and forth and we'll pick up some other things in Luke chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 2 it records her bringing an offering to the temple um, as was, you know, given by the Levitical law in in Leviticus chapter 12. For a baby boy that was born on the eighth day, they were brought to the temple for the certain rites. And Mary brings an offering, Luke 2 tells us, of two pigeons. That was the offering that God had ordained could be brought for those who were poor. In Leviticus 12, it it talks about this rite. Of course, ultimately, the circumcision of the male son and, and things like that. But all of this goes, you know, traces back to Abraham and the covenant and, and such. But in that, the, the offering is prescribed to be given as a lamb and a dove. Well, that would have been quite expensive. But nested in that, there is also the provision for the offering for those who could not afford the lamb and the, or, and the dove to offer two pigeons. We just think about that for a second. There's this word that buzzes around society right now, inclusivity. Kind of makes us go like this sometimes. 
You know, the world would love to take the gospel and paint it as exclusive, as, you know, what it's not. There's nothing more inclusive, my friends, than the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Leviticus, God in his omniscience makes a way so that everyone within the nation, within the community can worship. It's not just for the haves of society. And Mary, the very beginning of our Lord's physical life, goes to the temple and does exactly what had been prescribed, and she brings that little poor offering of two pigeons, and it is as respected and received and as honorable as if she had brought a great lamb. She did bring a lamb, though, didn't she? While we know nothing of her physical beauty, we do know much about her character. And that's really where I want us to place our focus and, and really draw this challenge from us, uh, for us this morning here for just a few minutes. Consider with me, first of all, her spirit. That, that which was going on inside of her as she grew as a child and became a young woman, as she had been taught, as she worshipped, as she believed. What was she really like well we get that inclination very quickly don't we from the the mouth of the of the angel from Gabriel as he brings this greeting he is the great messenger angel and it says he came to her and said greetings o favored one the lord is with you and she did what a humble, righteous woman would do. Oh, me? It said, that, that's what it means in, in the Greek when it says she was troubled. She was greatly troubled at the saying. What are you talking about? Her humility, her belief. We get another inclination from it over in verse 47, and we can jump there real quick right at the very beginning of her song. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now just let that sit in your mind for just a second, please. Here in the 21st century, 2,000 years of gospel witness has gone on. And to our evangelical ear, we hear this woman saying, God, my Savior. And we're like, well, good for you. We get that. That was not normal in the first century. Think about what she's saying. What she's realizing. What she is in that moment confessing. 
She is lived in, grown up in, been or, or, uh, born into the society where she's looking forward to the Messiah. There has been no redemptive work yet at Calvary. And yet, because of her great belief in God's promises, she grasps the truth. And she says, I rejoice in God who is my Savior. That's quite the statement. Augustine put it this way about that statement. He said, Mary first conceived Christ in her heart by faith before she conceived in the womb. God delights in using his children to accomplish his work. Again, he could have done this any way he wanted to. He could have had Jesus walk out of, you know, out of the wilderness and come across Jordan and walk into Jerusalem at 30 years of age. That wasn't his plan. He'd revealed his plan way back in the garden. He had added bits and pieces to it all throughout by the prophets. And Mary knew the Old Testament. And Mary accepted it as truth. As a result of the confession of her heart and her spirit, she also is submissive to the will of God working in her life. This statement she makes right here at the end of verse 38. I mean, again, as best we know, and, and I think it's very safe to assume, Mary is a young lady. And I mean by that 16, 17, 18 years old. It's very common in that time for Joseph's problem. Joseph may have been 30. He's established. He's got his business going. It's time now to marry. It's very, very normal for, for Mary to have been a teenager. Maybe she's 19, but she's, she's young. And she has been anticipating, like all of, all of Israel, in the coming Messiah. And now all of a sudden, this angel comes and speaks to her, unsettling. Then she listens and comprehends what he's saying, turning her life upside down. And her response is, and notice it says here, after she says this, and then the angel departs from her. This isn't like... I'm going to think about this for a week, and now I've come to this conclusion. This is in the moment. When all of this is coming, she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a profound statement, but think about it in the context of the moment. What a testimony. He has just told her, your life is going to go like this. I have to wonder, is she racing through her mind as Gabriel is speaking to her all of the prophecies about the mother? There were a few. I mean, is her mind raced all the way back to what Moses recorded in Genesis 3?
theologian Henry Lockyer said this, when Mary willingly yielded her body to the Lord, saying, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The Holy Spirit, by his gentle operation, took deity and humanity and fused them together, formed the love knot between our Lord's two natures within Mary's being. And therefore, when Jesus came forth, it was as the God-man, God manifested in flesh. Or that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The questions are swirling. And she asks a legitimate question, how can this thing be? I'm a virgin. And the question is answered and she comes immediately to the conclusion in verse 37... With God, nothing's impossible. I love how Gabriel, of course, the the ministry of John the Baptist had also been prophesied. So that birth was part of fulfillment of prophecy as well. But I love how Gabriel drops that in to give that little confirming (laughs) to her. Oh, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who's really old and everybody thought she'd never have kids. (laughs) She's pregnant. She's expecting You see, belief in God and submission to God, they're interrelated. They're commingled. They they really are inseparable. And by that I mean if you truly believe as a child of God, there may be some conflict, there may be some, but ultimately there will be submission to God. Belief in God yields that submission to God. I think for those of us, if you go through a time in your life where you're really battling with God and struggling with God's will and plan for your life, I think first of all you've got to say, okay, do I really believe in God? Because if I really understand who he is and I really believe in him, submission will follow. doesn't mean all the questions are going to be answered and doesn't mean it's going to be really easy. But there will be submission. I mean, what was going to happen to Mary and ultimately to her son was going to cause grief and pain and difficulty. And yet she submitted. It wasn't hidden. In Luke chapter 2, again, I told you we'd kind of bounce over there a little bit. If you look in Luke 2, this is at that ceremony eight days after the birth. There's this old man, Simeon, and he comes and, and of course, I mean, we could like, that's a whole other character of Christmas that we're not getting to, but he, he makes these prophecies and stuff and he, he blesses them. And, but in verse 35, this is recorded and it says, Simeon says this to Mary as they're there in the temple, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Yeah. And some 33 years later, Mary finds herself standing on a hillside a few hundred year a few hundred yards away looking up at her son hanging on a Roman cross. 
can you imagine? And yet, she submitted. We look at this and we consider and we're like, wow, man, I wish I could be like that. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to be like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be submissive like Mary. And the questions then begin to come. Well, what if? What if God asks me to do something really, really hard? What if God calls me to do something really, really different? What if God turns my life upside down? He answers that question. Peter tells New Testament believers, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He's quoting an Old Testament passage in doing that. Because you see, humble submission to God's will for our lives is the door through which God ushers in his power and his sustaining grace in our lives. You see, we look at it and we say, okay, God, I will do it, but you've got to give me the grace. Okay, well then, humbly submit. When we submit, when we, like Mary, say, I'm your servant, let it be done as your word has said. God's grace then ushers in and carries us through. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, quite frankly, it's going to probably be a pretty rocky ride. But God's grace is sufficient. By being submissive to God's will, not just in this moment, but then all the way through the remainder of her life. And, and again, she's, she's going to give birth to four more sons. She's going to have some daughters. We don't know exactly how big the family is, but I mean, just from what we know right there, we're, we're getting into big family, right? At some point, she's going to become a widow. Joseph is nowhere mentioned after the adolescence of our Lord. She's going to be there, as we've already said, at the foot of the cross. But by doing, by, by her spirit, her belief, her submission, her humility, we can make, I think, some very safe assumptions about the kind of home that these five young men and their sisters grew up in. What a place it must have been. place of trust and calmness and humility, a place where they were taught. The end of Luke chapter 2, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in knowledge and favor with God and man, right? Faithfully being taught what is needed. A place where God is exalted, a place where, where doing God's will for your life is, is not only taught, but it's modeled. A place where there is great love of the scriptures. It is obvious Joseph knew. It is obvious Mary knew. And I think we can very safely say that that was carried right over into their children's lives. Mary's song that we're going to look at here for just a moment, it is just, it's laced throughout with Old Testament quotations. I think there's at least 15. And it's the fruit of God's working in Mary's life coupled with her submission to him. 
it yields this amazing song of praise that is nearly unequaled. Of course, it has become known as the Magnificat. That's Latin. For I will magnify. The song Pastor Josh began our service with this morning is really taken from Mary's Magnificat. There are so many uh, phrases lifted right out of this and, and woven beautifully into that song. And she begins and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Again, what a statement. To make great, to celebrate, to praise. Now think about this. We, we're looking at this from our perspective, right? From this side of the cross. And we're looking back at this and, and all that Mary has become in our, our minds and our imagination. But can we please try to go back to the other side for just a second and think about everything that has now just come settling on her life and in her mind. And her response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Say, where in the world does that come from out of a teenage mind? It started with her belief in the promise of Messiah. It was germinated and watered, if you will, and fertilized with her submission to God's will. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit just brings those things together. And she says, to God be the glory. You know, when God brings or allows a disruption or a difficulty into your life, do you want to complain to him or do you want to celebrate him? Mary celebrates him. Mary celebrates him. She didn't magnify herself as others have. She magnifies God. The expressions in this song of joy and of faith and of humility, I mean, they're just throughout. It is much like the song of Hannah recorded for us, as I I mentioned, alluded to. We read a little touch of it here this morning as we began our service. This fall in our Wednesday night growth groups, we've been studying through 1 Samuel. We've finished up through chapter 12, but, you know, we spent some time looking at at Hannah's song back in those early weeks. There really are echoes of that. Mary offers praise to God eight times and tells us what he has done. Tells us what he's done for her, tells us what he's done for those who accept him and honor him and fear him and what he's done for his people, Israel. And he can, she confesses here in the song his amazing blessing upon her. Again, she's not like, why me? Can't you get someone else? No, she realizes even as difficult as this is probably going to be, okay, God, thank you, praise you that you're working in me. You are my Savior. Mary couldn't save herself. She can't save you. (laughs) She had to put her trust 
in Jesus just like you do. Just like I do. And she says, he's my Savior. She praises him for his faithfulness in verse 48, for his power in verse 49. I mean, what greater power does God ever display than that of creation and salvation? And both of these are in action here in Mary's life. She praises him for his holiness. Holy is his name. You see, without this, he could not be her savior. They understood holiness. Even in the Old Testament rites of the sacrifices, you know, they understood what the qualities of the lamb had to be and so on and so forth. That had, that had been very clearly laid out for them. Holy is his name. She talks about the blessing of God on, on God on of God on those who will trust him. And she says in verse 50, his mercy is from generation to generation. Aren't you glad this morning his mercy has not been exhausted? Two thousand years of people. His mercy has not run out. And his blessing on Israel. You see, she, again, had been well taught and she had believed it in her heart. And she says there, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary was aware that the birth of this child was a fulfillment of the covenant promises to Abraham and his people. We have considered these characters of Christmas. The questions come to us as they had to be answered in all of their heart, their hearts. Have you accepted Jesus as savior as Mary did? Have you come to that point in your life? Are you spiritually ready to learn from and to be used by God? Could God come to you through the speaking of his word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Could God take the truth of his word, bring it to your heart and say, I've got a job for you. And you, like Mary, say, I'm your servant, whatever your word says. Will you submit to his control in your life? When that happens, how do you respond? Do you celebrate him or complain to him? Do you magnify him? Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, they believed God's word. They accepted God's will. They trusted God's plan. How about you? How about you today? Elizabeth was filled with hope. Joseph was at peace. Mary 
rejoiced. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for all that you are. We think of what this must have been like for this young woman to encounter this angel, to hear what he said to her, to process it in the moment, to have all of this reality coming in upon her, her mind and her heart. And she responds in total submission and with unparalleled praise. Oh, Father, may we, may we be like her in this. But, Father, may we also realize, as she did by faith, we have to accept Christ as Savior. Father, may this truth Find a home in our hearts this morning. Father, help each and every one of us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. We pray these things in your name.